What do you even say about someone who stays true to her craft and continues to spread joy through her music despite starting out in a scene like jazz which was virtually non-existent at the time in India? Basundara is a warrior who not only pushes herself but also encourages thousands of musicians across the globe to follow through on their musical dreams. I had the wonderful opportunity to sit down with her and discuss how changing your narrative can get you closer towards a dream career or a fulfilling life for yourself. Here it is. When it comes to making music, we are all at par. When it comes to uh, navigating uh, certain physical aspects of the industry, we are not at par. And uh, so there's a, you know, um, I mean, because it's a world of people and the industry is also full of people and people have their uh, preconceived notions, their biases, their fears that they all, you know, they topo them on you. You begin to believe that they're right. And uh, that kind of, I mean, it, it breaks an artist in many ways, you know, where the dream comes with this whole social baggage and uh, mm-hmm. it becomes difficult. But, uh, but thanks to, you know, platforms such as you who are actively choosing to speak about it and speak about uh, at least giving people a sense of a community that's ready to walk the extra mile together. And uh, that's all it takes. And we walk enough miles. And I think uh, people uh, stop doubting us that much. Absolutely. You have such a wide repertoire beyond that. How did you get into, well, music in general? How do you develop your love for music? Uh, I'm a voice nerd. <laughs> so, you know, my, my main interest is how does the human voice make all those sounds? And it so happened that, you know, those sounds got slotted into idioms and, you know, they started representing a genre. And, and of course, you know, there's there's no denying that there's a history to each. There's a history. I mean, each each way that the voice is used has a history of use. Mm-hmm. And that's how the genres developed and stuff. But me being a voice nerd, I just wanted to, you know, like get to understand how it all happens. And, and I'm like a physiology voice nerd. So I want to know how the <laughs> voice itself does all that. So basically, oh. that's what yanked me in different directions um I started out uh, in the choir and mostly we would you know have gospel repertoire or pop repertoire sometimes even uh, choral jazz repertoire such as Manhattan Transfer and the Blenders and New York Voices that kind of um, uh, uh, jazz uh, repertoire in the choir as well so that was basically the world that I came from and I was born in 86 so it means that all the the goddesses of of the time when I was growing <laughs> up were Mariah Carey and Christina Aguilera and uh, Whitney Houston so that was my diet uh, you know my musical diet uh, at, at that point and uh, but it wasn't so much about music it was more voice you know, more curiosity about what makes voices different that made me want to try out different things this is definitely something I believe in as well you know I really think the voice is one of the most powerful instruments you know even when I think about the way that we've like gone about creating 
using man-made instruments, whether that's string or like brass. We always try to classify them, but it's really the thing that's so unique about the voice is it can really do anything. You know, if you train it hard enough and long enough and in the right manners. And you've done so many experiments on that. I I totally get your perspective on looking at it as just constantly experimenting and constantly innovating with your voice, your performances across your role as an educator and as a blogger. And yeah, that that's really inspiring to see. You know, you've also performed with a number of wonderfully seasoned artists all over the world and you've coached professionals in a number of music schools. Do you feel that jazz and blues as a genre has evolved throughout the span of your career? Do you see that it's just taken on like different flavors and different roles since you first started? Well, it exists now and it didn't Mm -hmm. when I started. So when I started, uh, there was only rock in the live music scene. So jazz as it was like jazz proper, swing jazz and all, Mm -hmm. uh, that was happening uh, and it was hot for a while in Calcutta and in Bombay and Uncle Louis, he, you know, was one of the leaders of the movement. Mm -hmm. but uh, I wouldn't call it movement yet because that's when it it was it was the music that the entire world loved and then it Mm -hmm. kind of died off by the time I started performing uh, there was only rock uh, in clubs not even that much fusion there was just a lot of rock from piped music to the bands that were curated so um, when when Adil called me to form a band with him and he wanted to play R&B soul and jazz standards uh, mm-hmm. a lot of people told us that you know we will never get booked because there was literally nobody else there was drift uh, that was playing swing jazz but we were going to play you know a funkier version of it we, we mm-hmm. weren't proper proper jazz people but you know what happened uh, funnily was that uh, one of the venues gave us their worst day of the week they gave us Tuesdays <laughs> and they said sure you know like use this as your lab and we wanted to grow as the as a band too and you know like a residency is very useful you know just going to one place playing there every week for a few months mm-hmm. um so those Tuesdays uh, ended up being magical for us because uh, they became packed days and uh, why that was is because there were there were lots of expat people in Delhi at that time. And they used to come and hear us. And, you know, even though we might not have been, you know, at par with a great, great band, but, you know, it was enough of a recall for them. And they used to feel like they were back home. And so there was this, this entire expat community that started following us. And what happened was they happened to be people who would buy the more expensive drinks and who would hang out longer and would come back. So what happened was the venue started saying, oh my God, we're actually making a profit. And the thing is that I got to know of this much, much later. It's like, we were not, we just knew that we have gigs coming up and then suddenly people are calling us with more gigs. And we thought we were getting lucky, but I realized that it ended up making money from a different segment. And so our gigs would not necessarily look like, you know, lots of young kids screaming and, you know, holding on to one breezer and screaming and flashing (laughs) their phones at us. It would just be, it would be a full venue 
possibly seated, possibly standing, whatever, but we have full venue of slightly older people who had money to spend. And uh, uh, and that ended up working in our favor. So we weren't cool, but then we became premium for some reason. And, and once that happened, then people started booking or looking for more people who could do this. And That's slowly so and gradually, you know, like a scene started forming around it. And all the people who really wanted to play this but couldn't, they started coming out from everywhere. And, uh, and now there's lots and lots of people doing this. So, you know, yeah, it was a lucky accident that failed Tuesday thing. And it turned into something good for everyone. Absolutely. It definitely, definitely did. I really love how, you know, you classify uh, rock and jazz as like the cool kids music and then there's a premium sort of music and um, yeah I definitely find that very interesting because um, when I was in school definitely everyone was listening to Linkin Park and uh, you know Red Hot Chili Peppers you know incredible in their own right but I think you know when you mentioned jazz being this premium thing do you think that it requires some sort of patience or at least a little bit of musical understanding to get that? I think at that moment, it was premium simply because it was a bunch of people who were slightly older, who were traveling to India and who had jobs here and who were making enough money to stay on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one thing was that, but but I feel that, you know, if you consider jazz like this map, like a country, there are, there are different like areas and each area has a different function. And I think the oldest function was, of course, to help people dance. And that's one thing that that's lost now. Mm-hmm. So the the earliest uh, um, main major function was, you know, people would go to dance halls to listen to jazz and to dance. And that's something that, that, that doesn't happen as much as it possibly should, but that's just my opinion. And so as, as long as it's swinging and as long as the rhythm feels really good, I don't think anybody would care about the intellectual aspect of it. You know, I feel it has enough of uh, enough bandwidth to cater to everybody. And I think that's one of the things that makes that music so powerful. In fact, any music powerful. It needs to have something for the animal part of us that wants to die. Yeah. <laughs> and it needs to have something for our brain. And it needs to have soul. It has to. Because if it's not c- communicating anything real, then, you know, mm-hmm. then you can bob your head, but you won't be moved at a very kind of uh, deep level. So it, it needs all those three uh, aspects, all those three elements. And I feel, I feel that's why, you know, it's like, it's like abstract art. Either it's, it oh, does it for yeah. you or it doesn't, no? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like an art critic and know the history of everything and understand the techniques that have been used. It's, mm-hmm. it, it either talks to you or it doesn't. And I think that's true for music. Yeah, you're so right. Oh my gosh. And uh, I love that you mentioned, you know, the whole element of us wanting to dance. And I think that's very accurate because, you know, what I've noticed is when I, when I first started to like study jazz, I hated it. I was just, <laughs> and uh, and I went to my teacher and I said, I don't want to do this. I'll just go back to playing Bach and Chopin. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I have Hobbit hands firstly, so I, my hands cannot reach that far. I do not want to do this. And uh, so my teacher did a very interesting thing. He started making me listen to funk. So I started listening to like George Benson and, uh, you know, uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. And I loved that music and I wanted to dance to it. And I I still dance to it. And uh, what I realized was that was just a kid version of jazz, but it's still fun Mm -hmm. and and, and you love to dance to it. And once I got introduced to that, 
I love jazz. I just enjoyed. Um, I really loved how that was my entry mm. into into the world of jazz. But mm. um, yeah, I totally agree with you. You're right. There needs to appeal to your heart, your mind, your soul. Yeah. And and George Benson is a great uh, uh, example of that because, like you know, I don't think his music was basic in any way. Virtuosity and so much soul, and you know, and groove and vibe. It was just everything. Absolutely, yeah. Even with vocals, I mean, it's it's really wonderful how we often used to think that oh, if you're a pop musician, then you can't really do too many runs, and you just have to keep it like simple and boppy. But jazz can be like can have complicated runs and still be very headbang worthy. I feel at times, oh, yeah. especially with your music, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for pointing that out. Now, um, you know, this podcast is called Her Tempo, so I'm really curious as to who your musical influences are in music or otherwise because you definitely are um someone who's influenced this entire generation i mean when i see a lot of the female indie musicians today they all look up to you so much including me and uh, for right reasons i mean you really are a gem and uh, such a role model for all of us thank you i don't think i deserve such nice words yeah but uh, as far as my my role models were concerned as i said i stood i i started out listening to the divas mm-hmm. and um uh what i can safely say is that the music community was more like a role model to me than an artist because at that point you know when i started getting into music we didn't even have youtube and <laughs> we didn't have access to stuff there was a bunch of vinyl at home and then there were cd's after that but it's the music community that would guide your hearing and that would say you know check this out you know there was this um, i had gone for a recording and i had bombed that recording i was just i had done a horrible <laughs> job but you know uh, neil was very very kind and he said you know hey i i can hear like there's this gap in your hearing and so he played a couple of chords and he said why don't you just sing whatever comes to you and then he played another set of chords and he said uh, and and what about now and i was stumped you know because i was really i was relying on stock stock run stock melodies and you know my ear hadn't really opened up to the extent that it could have or should have uh so then he said hey listen to uh, you know he would he sent me some tutorials and he sent me uh, music to listen to and he said just widen your hearing even if you don't know what these things mean just just listen and just tune in and tune and try to see how much you can catch from within that so what i feel is that you know actively being shaped by the the senior musicians of the scene i i would say that was more real for me than finding music that changed me it was always like a song or later on uh, when i met uncle louis uh, he would send me his songs which were way above my ability he'd say uh, i and you know he wouldn't even say i i want this ready by this time he'd say there's a gig <laughs> and you know it was something which was way beyond me and you know just trying just trying to get it to happen just trying to survive the gig and it was it was really scary but but also imagine the chance that they would take to you know push someone constantly to do better than they they already knew i couldn't do that yet but to to give me the opportunity to go go beyond myself and uh, uh, it, it was it was harrowing and scary often for me but you know when i look back i think you know others are also taking a chance on you yeah and uh, that that's a that's a really really big thing so i would say that you know uh, the entire music community in delhi and eventually in bombay when i started coming here uh, is is responsible for anything that i know or can do 
uh, in singing and um, otherwise man i i love everybody i love all sorts of voices from steven tyler to lian lahavas to oh she's like i don't know everybody i i just yeah um, and you know these people i mean there's a lot of the industry that we should be complaining about but then there always in every generation there are pockets of people who are ready to push those that you know they think want to be in the running for you know like pushing at least music forward mm-hmm. so that's always going to be there and i think we need to also just identify those individuals and and grow our ecosystems around them that's so true yeah having said that let's complain a little bit <laughs> about uh, you know the things of the music industry in the spirit of having things improve and uh, you know empower everyone around us you know obviously there are a lot of stereotypes about artists facing difficulties in the music industry personally as you know someone who is you know so incredibly well established have you ever felt certain amount of pressure to fit into a particular role in the industry i've had lots of uh, well meaning advice which i never listened to by well meaning advice it was like you know why aren't you singing in hindi and i'd be like you know i i don't want to do i don't want to be disrespectful to an entire art form i haven't put in the hours and then you know i just start doing something just because i can speak the language but you know you'll you'll never make it you know doing the kind of stuff that you do or you need to look a particular way you need to create an image of yourself in a particular way and you know whenever i'm faking it it just it shows too much and i i can't deal with that but uh, these have been things these little well meaning whispers in my ear constantly pretty much constantly and uh, and i can say that i internalized them to an extent and it was scary and uh, uh, demotivating because you know i wanted to exist the way i wanted to exist and i wanted to sing the manner that i wanted to sing otherwise what's the point mm-hmm. so yes uh, there is there is a lot of that and generally as as in terms of a notion of how a woman should be if she's a singer or a performer yeah. right and that is extremely problematic oh for sure and uh, so i i tried not to listen and i uh, and i think you know what helped was that because i did not uh, i was not super glamorous and all of that uh, people would this is my <laughs> i think people would just turn up to listen <laughs> because that's that's all that was on the table <laughs> that was all that was promised Yeah and that's how it should be you know if you're a professional and you're offering as a musician if you're offering a service you know it's it's the service that they're going to come for you're not going to come to a restaurant because of what the chef looks like right? you're going to go there if the food is good yeah so that's that's also the basic confusion because people don't know exactly what they're being served and and the musician himself is you know and it's not just about women you know men have this problem saying uh, you know i would have been uh, i would have got much more appreciation had i been a woman oh you know men complain <laughs> about that and you know women have their own set of uh, complaints but you know yeah. one thing that i know for sure is that you know you need to walk into a room as the expert for the event as the business person as the person who's booked the gig as the person who knows what they are there for because a lot of the time you know we are timid because there's all of this stuff that's going on in our heads and there's the pressure to look a certain way and to present in the way that is mostly on television and on social but but that's not true uh, and i i i speak about this in the book as well where you know there are your your aura really you kind of you wear that vibe when you enter a place and then it really really doesn't matter 
mm-hmm. and uh, and that's when you know a lot of the things that that work against women you know the sort of okay let's get ugly so some of some of the people that I've trained who eventually became my friends they went for a gig uh, to a, a well known venue and the venue said oh but you don't look like your pictures so if they if they don't know what what you're going to be singing or playing but you know based on a couple of profile pictures they've mm-hmm. picked you and then the same person called me back uh, a few months later said and said you know they said that uh, they cancelled my gig and said they booked somebody else who was a little younger and prettier than me oh my god okay now of course i want to go and slap that venue and of course i've never played there because i generally don't like their artist booking policies but but the thing is that this happens and then you know the way it got to her was horrible it, it depleted her for a while yeah. and um, oh so so all of that is a problem but that can be countered right in the moment when you are that clear that hey i'm here to sing and if you don't know what i'm here to do then you haven't done your job in picking me and if you Absolutely. think i'm one of 10 pretty faces then too bad for you <laughs> Yeah and I think this lack of clarity also applies to venues because you know they are also kind of many venues are not clear as to what type of music they should be booking they're just thinking that the band is going to get in a few extra people through the door so you know it's like two people that are trying to piggyback on each other but both are kind of needy and so i think even in terms of venues they they need to become a little clearer and and then the bands that fit are going to find regular work in those places and it's just going to be easier for everybody and i think i think the tone of the relationship is always set during those first couple of phone calls and during the first email that that must contain all the terms and all the riders mm-hmm. because you know uh, when that doesn't happen then the then the tone is all funky and that's when you know you'll have to explain what you expect from uh, your client because uh, they won't know so you know it's it's almost like setting your boundaries before you get into a, a relationship which is you know the gig or the series of gigs so it's very important for for women also to develop a language around this and yeah. you know a, a, a written language a spoken language a, a, a language around saying no a language around saying i'm offended without getting you know without recoiling or feeling afraid but but um at a at a culture level as at a music culture community culture level we need to develop this that's for sure i think an artist should look at himself as a company if he's going professional that is mm-hmm. right and there's one department which is basically just him and the band members that are figuring out uh the sound the soul the message Mm-hmm. those things have to be clear it it cannot be always driven by what are people going to listen to actually if you play it enough times people are going to listen to it i can say that because because i started out in a situation where that stuff wasn't playing at all mm-hmm. so it's it's um, uh, there's there's no reason to to fear that uh, or to follow another trend because you'll be a copy so first that first department your band is is going to decide the message the soul and the way that it's delivered to people what's the flavor of the communication so mm-hmm. i i love i love to say this to uh, even even to my students if you think you're a rebel you can be a closed eyed singer songwriter rebel and you can be <laughs> a, a a a a screaming kind of you know rock kind of yeah yeah <laughs> there are all those there's an entire range in which you can so what's the flavor you know what's the point what's the message what's the flavor 
and is their soul in it number 2 is the band skilled enough to sound sickeningly good mm. so this this is one mistake of the three departments that we're going to talk about the first mistake is that the band is not ready yet and then what happens is because they aren't tayar and they don't know how to grab people even if it's a ballad yes there are moments to you, you you are playing with energy at the end of the day so you don't have to be like a loud jumpy you know a lot of people think you have to be that in order to entertain but but you don't you just have to be compelling and you have to be really good at what you're doing so the band needs to become a little self aware and decide whether they are good because that already cuts out a lot of the bullshit a lot of the time the band or the singer or whatever it is any element of the band is not tayar then price becomes a point of discussion and then image becomes the only thing right so you want to weed away those things as differentiating factors just because you bring something really special to the table so that is about the skill and about the music itself after that of course now there is the business aspect and this is something i have been very bad at because i've just not been woke <laughs> of of marketing uh, myself so but you need to think of it as as a department either some people of the band kind of decide that they'll be part of that and eventually as you grow and as your revenue grows then you bring in more people to do that but uh, uh, that's the part that chronicles everything that you do so that there's like a growth graph on the internet and you know people know and there's there's a history behind you and people understand who you are once they you know kind of see two three four links and then you know so there's a story that in itself is is narrative a narrative because you know you've got a story that's in your control that you've put out then uh, of course um uh, recording as much as you can something i don't do enough and uh, doing pr runs when is the right time to do it so figuring out what good brand association would mean for your band so it doesn't mean just landing gigs everywhere but landing the right gigs at the right venues who believe in the same things that you do and your music enhances them and you playing there helps you get your audience so you want to want to understand all of that and so you want to associate with the right people and you want to chronicle your growth in the right way but the starting point needs to be shockingly good already you don't have to be the best in the world but you have to be really really good you need to be shocking mm-hmm. and and then the last thing of course is about the thing you mentioned about networking and what i've noticed is that you know people don't know whom to network with they just think that you know they need to keep tagging people who are more popular than them or you know keep meeting people or like keep attending parties and stuff but see if the first department is not sorted then that networking can actually lead to a lot of exploitation and a lot of the wrong that happens mm-hmm. right because then you're not taking anything that the other person considers a gold mine it's like you are making somebody aware that you are seriously useful to them mm. you're not like please give me a chance i'm good and i really want to work hard no i mean you know the people with whom others are trying to network they hear this all the time so that first department is going to be the one that really helps you with the networking because you are carrying a bag of gold with you 
So I think it's very important to be careful about all of these three things because any of them going wrong. For example, me, I had so many self-worth issues and all that. I never put out enough. I was never uh, uh, loud enough about the things that I've done. There's so many things that I've done that, that there's no sign of them on the internet. And I'm quite pissed about it. And so the thing is, but it's all my fault. So then what happens is because that central department was not optimal for me, mm-hmm. a lot of people who are, say, in the next generation have to be reintroduced. They mm-hmm. should have all the info on me, but they don't because I screwed up. So these three things, I think we really need to, we need to consider ourselves a company. And, you know, another thing people say is trying to network with labels or with whatever. It's all the same. You need to be self-sufficient. You need to have your shit in order so that you're going as an equal and you're not going as somebody who really needs that opportunity and is and is willing to sign a contract that's not optimal, that's not mm. respectful of your rights. So that's that they could be any number of things. And that and people sign away their identity, people sign away their, you know, artistic rights. I mean, there's there's so much that can go wrong. But, you know, a lot of the, the people that could have been dangerous, that could have, you know, either shut you out or whom you have, you would have had to interact with. Those people don't exist anymore. They don't hold that kind of power anymore. That's so awesome. in that sense, yeah, I think, I think right now it's more about the individual being responsible and the individual being extremely careful and choosy and not being in a hurry. The main problem is young individuals being in a hurry to get famous just because everybody has a dream to go viral rather than having a 50-year-long career mm-hmm. and building wealth from music. A lot of the people that have messaged me have said, I don't want anything. I just want to go viral once. <laughs> That's the instant and, gratification that TikTok and Instagram gives you. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. But, yeah. Yeah, but think about it. Sometimes people can leverage that and form a career. And sometimes people don't. And it's a one-time thing. The thing is just just that we need to get that booth out of our head. And if you if you even look at uh, what people who do go viral say, many of them have been hanging around online for 10 years and suddenly one thing that they didn't even expect to catch on caught on. And, you know, if that's the path for you, that's the path for you. But, you know, you know, Wendy Parr, she says this amazing thing. She's a vocal coach. She says it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. Because <laughs> you got to yep. keep chipping at it and you never know what happens. The universe is alive yeah. and uh, an opportunity uh, appears. I mean, the kind of opportunity that there is now, there wasn't when I was starting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, yeah. there are, uh, there's the stage, for example. Who would have thought of an English a uh, show a uh, singing yeah. show uh, on on television ever no nobody would have thought about it but it exists now you know the number of people i think that critical mass has been reached which is why these things exist at all because you know all the people who are checking on how many people are going to watch the show and all and should we put all this money into it or not they know and so the audience is ready we don't have to consider ourselves niche. There's another amazing thing that Gino once told me. Mm-hmm. He said that, you know, how many uh, tabla players, for example, think of themselves as solo artists, mm-hmm. right? You can, but many, many, many young people say they think of themselves as as, as an accompanist. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can be an accompanist, but the point is that you can choose your identity and your role within the instrument that you have. And and the central the central 
idea there is to realize that you can approach things as though you are not niche even though you could be mm. like you know mm-hmm. i can i've i've been walking around saying oh it's a niche 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 thing but what if tomorrow i decided that no it's not i'm not a niche artist i sing this way and that's how it is and you know i think that could really be helpful to to any anybody who's listening to this that you know let, let's just kind of be a little more um deliberate about how we want to identify our music and just because it's been niche before does not mean it'll continue to be so god knows who's going to break into the mainstream soon and then that has a ripple effect on all the independent events everywhere hope you enjoyed that segment this week's music recommendation is be honest by george smith fun fact this song is also on obama's playlist Say what you want but the man has taste. All right, see you guys on the next episode. Take care.